This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Welcome. It's yours. It just depends on how much it means to you. This is a chance of a lifetime. You can't be afraid to go out and compete and do whatever it takes. To the coaches. Cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. Clubhouse. I don't think we have an avenue to say anything anytime, so you're talking to the wrong guy there. I think we're like the mushrooms. Just keep them in the dark and throw the crap on them and hope it grows. Now here's your coach's clubhouse host, Nicole Auerbach. Hey everyone, this is Nicole Auerbach and welcome again inside the Coaches Clubhouse, the podcast where we delve deep into what drives coaches on and off the sidelines. This week is a special guest because she just announced her retirement. We're talking to LSU longtime gymnastics coach, Dee Dee Bro, a true legend in the SEC. We recorded this interview back in June, and on August 4th, she announced her retirement as head coach, but she will remain an ambassador for the LSU Athletic Department. 43 years ago, her tenure at LSU began, making it the longest tenure in SEC history. After her gymnastics career was cut short due to injuries, she took over the LSU program and grew it through pure grit and will into one of the premier programs in the country. She's been SEC Coach of the Year nine times, National Coach of the Year twice, has coached 15 individual national titles and 260 All-American honors. She's also made the Maravich Center the place to be on Friday nights in Baton Rouge, setting attendance record after attendance record. We also talk about her love of gardening, a passion she took from her parents, and one that she's teaching to her children and grandchildren. She even gives me a few pointers for the herbs I'm trying to grow in my garden, in my apartment, which may or may not work. Anyway, congratulations to Dee Dee Bro on her retirement. Here is my conversation with the LSU gymnastics legend. Coach, I really appreciate you coming on. It's great to get to talk to coaches in all different sports. And as someone who covered one season of college gymnastics, I have an incredible amount of respect for that sport in particular. It is so fun and also terrifying to watch. Well, you know, when you covered a sport, you told me earlier you covered Michigan gymnastics, and uh, that's a program in and itself that has a tremendous legacy of of success. And I've known all the coaches that have been there. Bev Palaki and I are very good friends, very close peers in our sport. And she's she's a little younger than I am, but uh, you you were privileged to cover a great program. Yeah. And, and you, I feel like, you know, you learn so much because a lot of people's introductions to gymnastics or maybe the extent of their, you know, interaction with gymnastics is the Olympics. Right. And then there's this whole other world in college gymnastics, which is different for the women, different for the men. So it, it just seems like it would be a lot of fun to get athletes like at that phase in their career or the ones who this is the peak, like this is the biggest stage. And obviously, like these are insane crowds you guys draw. So it is a huge stage. But, you know, getting athletes to compete, you know, on a college team, you know, at that stage in their lives, it, it must just be a really rewarding and interesting job that you've had for so long. Well, it is. And, you know, you said 78. I actually started at LSU in 77. I was a GA, a graduate assistant head coach. So it's been a long and, and arduous and no, not always easy journey. But the blessing of the journey has always been every every battle or every time I had to go in and fight for something, I really felt like I was fighting for the future of women's gymnastics at LSU and in our state. And um, 
every battle was was really worth waging. Every um, every victory, everything that that we were able to achieve and gain for women's athletics and gymnastics, women's gymnastics at LSU was um, was truly gratifying because all of the victories were about the student athletes and um, bringing ourselves to a more level playing field and a more equal advantage to facilities and advantage to good travel and advantage to better physical, better treatment, better trainers, better everything as we move forward through these 43, now 44 years of my career. Um, to think back where we started and where we are now, it's um, it's really gratifying. So many, And so many people along the way have been part of that village that has led us to the successes that we have now. It's interesting, obviously, that you've been at the same place for so long and just become, you know, synonymous with it, but also that basically your career, it parallels Title IX so well. And I'm wondering, you know, as I'm someone who benefited from that, right, and had all of these opportunities as a youth athlete to, to be on teams and play all different sports, how has that impacted, as you're saying, you know, kind of where you started with LSU Gymnastics to now and, and maybe even, you know, camps and just the opportunities for young gymnasts? Well, you know, you talk about Title IX. Title IX was a real game changer. And the my starting when I did, I mean, President Nixon signed um, the, the Title IX bill. He, he signed those things that influenced Title IX and made Title IX happen in 1972. And in 1977, I got a phone call from the athletic director, then Carl Maddox at LSU, um, Actually, I was called through his daughter-in-law, who had previously coached me and been a gymnast here in Louisiana at Centenary College, which was the only collegiate program in the state. And uh, she called me and wanted to know if I'd be interested in coaching at LSU. And I was in graduate school at LSU and it had just accepted a position to um, fill a maternity leave position for someone else at St. Joseph Academy here in Baton Rouge. And I'm sitting on the back porch with my dad and I'm like, there, that was that was a strange call. I just got an opportunity to, to go interview for the job at LSU, but I've already signed this contract. He said, well, you need to follow your dreams. You need to do what you, what you need to do best for you. So I contacted St. Joseph and they, of course, let me out of that. And uh, I was able to interview for the job at LSU and got it. And Carl Maddox, being, being the penny-pinching athletic director that he was, he realized, here's a golden opportunity. I can snag this coach and she's in graduate school and I'm just going to pay for her graduate school. So he <laughs> paid for my graduate school and he gave me $1,200 a semester a stipend to coach the gymnastics team. And fortunately, there had been a club there before uh, at LSU. Jackie Walker coached it. Uh, her husband was in sports information at LSU. He left LSU at that time to go work for the 49ers. And of course, his wife went with him and it opened the door for me to have this opportunity, but they were going to take it from a club to a varsity sport. So I, I had a little pool of athletes already in place and um, began to be able to recruit with scholarships to come to LSU, but I had no facility, no war chest of competition leotards or, or any any of those things because this was a club and all those kids paid for it themselves. So it was really starting from the very, very beginning and uh, scratching it out with no assistant coach and no help. And, you know, and I think, Nicole, the hardest thing about that was our women's basketball coach was already there, Jinx Coleman. She was coaching basketball and volleyball at the time. And then when they wow. hired me, they hired, um, they hired Jerry Simmons. And both of these 
these women have done an amazing job, but they have since passed away. And um, later we hired, we had interim in women's basketball coaches in between Jinx and then we hired Sue Gunner. And Sue, I think, was the the, the really changing point for um, our, our, our women's basketball program at LSU. And then, you know, I was constantly there plugging along, fighting the battles and doing everything I could to increase our budget and get everything that we needed for our team to to begin to be in the top 10 and maintain top 10 status. When your career ended, and, and obviously I know that that was a knee injury and, and you yeah. were set to go to trials, which I mean, is just the, the most heartbreaking of ways for a career to, to end. Yeah. Did you know that you wanted to coach? Did you know that you wanted to stay in the sport? No, I really, I really thought I wanted to go to physical therapy school. I was at Southeastern Louisiana because they had a club team at the time. And my parents commuted me. My mother primarily commuted me from Donaldsonville to Baton Rouge, which is, you know, right now it's a 45 minute drive. Back then it was an hour and a half because we didn't even even have a, uh, a bridge. We didn't have the bridge. That, so we had to take the ferry back and forth. So eight kids in my family, it was a huge commitment for my family, as well as for my, my parents to, to make this sacrifice for me. But for them to be able to do that, you know, every day I got out of the car when mom would bring a gymnastics, she would say, now you're going to get out of something what you put into it. And that has lived with me forever. You know, just that, that, constant reminder of it's it's all about my effort and what I put into it and uh, the my opportunity to, to go to southeastern was was a golden opportunity and then I was coached by the Olympic coach at the time one of the Olympic coaches at the time Vanny Edwards and we had a, a fabulous team a great team of people around us it was very competitive and uh, when I when I hurt my knee he he took the opportunity to turn my enthusiasm and my energy and my my self-drive into coaching and working with the other girls on on the team. And then um, I ultimately decided I wanted to get my degree from LSU. If I wanted to go to PG school, that was my opportunity to do that. So he left Southeastern. And so I came to LSU and um, the rest of it just kind of began to fall in place. I had to start a recreation program there here in town and just stayed involved, was a national coach, national level coach, and was the state first state director for gymnastics. So I was real energetic and enthusiastic about getting the grassroots program of gym, for gymnastics started for the very young. And it just has become a mission. And then it has snowballed because you ta- you said earlier about camps. You know, we, we of course, can't do our camp this summer. We have, we have an age group program that we run as an LLC through the university that has about 400 kids in it you know, throughout the year. So we're, we're not able to do that right now. We've got an age group program, a club that we're having to rent space at a, at a local gym to, to maintain that program. But the college kids are kind of here in town or spread out at home from Colorado to New Jersey to wherever, and uh, just kind of waiting for the signal for us to be able to bring them back on campus. We're hoping for July to start training. When you're at the same place for so long and it's, you know, very early in your career, you're getting there, you're getting thrown into the fire. And and like you said, I mean, no assistance. You're trying to figure out, you know, what you need to build a, a varsity division one program to now. Like, how do you as a coach grow when you're at the same place for so long and so much in the sport and women's sports in general, athletic college athletics as a whole have changed? Like, how do you make sure that you're growing and how do you grow during that? Well, you know, I talk all the time about it takes a village and it and it, it really does. I mean, the, the resources that LSU in the last 12, 15 years that LSU has afforded us to have, it's, it's not just the gymnastics program, but it's the overall support of LSU athletics um, has been 
amazing. And, you know, you, I think about the athletic directors and the, and the people that I've had through the years, the challenges that, that those people have presented us through the years. And now I look at the, the attitude and the mindset of our administrators from Skip Burtman, Joe Oliva, and now Scott Woodward and the administrators that have worked under them. I mean, it's a, it's a long number of people. But, you know, you have to have a nutritionist. You have to have a, a Brandon Barrio, a, a, a guy that really cares about your sports information. You have to have a graphics person. You have to have your videographer. You have to have all of these people that sit at the table and a staff that challenges you every day and accepts the challenges that you put on the table for them. And you have to work together with without your own ego getting in the way. And I think that that's been key to our success at LSU is everyone owns their portion of that of that village that that wheel that you have to have everyone owns it and takes a tremendous pride in what they do that's how it works but you know as college coaches we have the opportunity to go in the various gyms around the country and recruit incredible student athletes and i I, we have amassed some some great student athletes that have come through our doors and i think have left as 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 better athletes but as better people with degrees that are priceless. You know, they, it's just, I, I look at LSU and, and I, and I look at it as though it's a treasure chest. It's the X on a map and it's a treasure chest. Open that treasure chest and it's yours, but you have to commit yourself to, to wanting what's in that chest. Well, we go in these gyms and we have the opportunity to be around our national team coaches, our Olympic coaches, the, the Kims and Meskels. There, there are just so many great coaches out there that, you know, Alphon, you know, Sarah Finnegan's coach. These these are the coaches that are, are really laying the foundation and teaching these kids these skills. And we go in these gyms and we see the drills and we we, we look at what they do and how they do it. And it, it enhances our ability to be better coaches all along the way. I just, I can't say enough good things about the grassroots program and the coaches that have contributed so much to the sport of gymnastics. And, you know, and then they, they send their kids a lot of times with their, with their blessing and their trust that, that the the college coaches are going to do the very, very best that we can to continue to develop what they have laid the foundation for, but then also to enhance their education and, and be a, be a huge part of their development in these critical years as they go from being a young woman and a gymnast, a student athlete to an adult that's going to contribute to the to the well-being of our country for the rest of their lives. How do you make LSU gymnastics like the event in town on a Friday night? I mean, I, you know, the, the crowds that you guys have gotten and in gymnastics pools in general, which I don't know if everybody realizes this, the insane environments that that some of these college gymnastics programs have, but it's it's such a family friendly event. There's there's so much to engage the crowds. How did that become a piece of this puzzle for you guys? You know, if I told you that secret, then it would it would be out there. You know, <laughs> I, I can't I can't divulge that secret. It doesn't happen easily and it doesn't happen overnight. It happens because consistency wins. And you have to have a consistent message. You have to have a, an incredible product. But we also in comes um, Jay Clark, who had been at Georgia for 17 years. And I have been banging and, and, and saying and asking and, and doing and giving out tickets in front of grocery stores and doing everything that I could to make our crowd and to, and to make women's gymnastics at LSU a special event. And um, I can remember one time one athletic director said, Didi, why are you banging on people so hard? Stop. You got 6,000 people. That's, that's enough. Stop. You're, you're doing a great job. That's a-. And I'm like, 
whoa, wait a second. I got 6,000 people in there and there's 13,000 seats. There's a lot of seats unsold. And he's like, okay, go ahead, do it. Do what you do. Do what you do. But then in comes Jay and he's saying the same thing. You know, hey, when do we do our TV show? When do we do this? I'm like, Jay, I don't know because I've been banging, wanting that for a long time. And he goes, well, we'll do it ourselves. All I need, all I needed at that point in time was somebody that would say, well, then we'll just do it ourselves. And so we did. And so now we have a TV show that the university does because it was so good. They took it and said, hey, you know what? We're going to take this. Y'all need, need not be on the street hounding people for um, sponsorship money for your TV show. So, I mean, that was a huge plus. And that that gave us some validity because here we are, a gymnastics program with the finest baseball team in the country, one of the finest football teams in the country, basketball programs that are historically fabulous. And now gymnastics has a TV show just exactly like those other programs. So that lends itself to being relevant. But then the, the other part of that is the consistent message of being out in the community and having the product and doing community service and doing all those things that, that brings attention, positive attention to the program. We had one little idea that I had to fight tooth and nail to make it happen. I said, look, we're going to have this event. We call it our 101, which happens in December. And it's our, our final team exhibition. And I said, what I want to do is we only had like maybe 300 season tickets. What I want to do is every seat that's not sold, I want to put a tent on it and, and give a little information about season tickets and what a great deal they are. They're cheaper than a movie. I mean, that was my big deal. It's cheaper than a movie. And so the guy, ticket office guy, and we went back and forth and I had to finally get the athletic director involved and they said, all right, all right, we'll do it. So they did it. And it was very labor intensive because like I said, we only had 200 and there's 13,000 seats in that place. So then the next year I said, hey, I want to do it again because we sold about 200 season tickets. The next year I said, hey, we're going to do it again. And then all of a sudden we had 3,000 season tickets. And then the next we had 4,000 season tickets. So then it was like, okay, well, we're going to reserve this for general admission and, you know, kind of pied up the PMAC. About the fifth time we do this 101, our, our final team exhibition, and we're getting good crowds in there. And we're, we're getting the worst night of the week. Like we get it a Tuesday night and we'll get it on a Wednesday after, you know, just terrible, but our crowds are getting better and better. Well, I looked up, we're setting up for the event. I looked up in the stands and the ticket office are putting the tents on the seats and we're not even asking. I didn't even ask. It's like, okay, this 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 thing is working. You know, and I think that's the big mistake that that a lot of people make. They, they have a, a good idea and they execute it, but it doesn't come out exactly like they want. It doesn't reap these incredible benefits. Well, if it reaped a little bit of a benefit, then it was probably a pretty good promotion. So take that pretty good promotion and work on it, tweak it, work it and make it a better promotion. We also have a commercial. We haven't done it in two years because we hosted the SEC championships in New Orleans in um, 19. And so we took our money from that we were going to spend producing a commercial and we invested it in, in marketing our SEC championships in New Orleans, which paid off because we had the biggest crowd ever. We had over over 10,000 people in the Smoothie King arena. Wow. But the, the commercial was this. I walk in the gym and I've got kids in there already practicing. I'm like, what are y'all doing? And the kids look at me and go, Didi, we've got our season starts in two weeks. We're, we're extra work. And I went, wow, that's amazing. And I kicked my shoes off. And then I'd have a, I act like I'm going to do something. I have a body double that goes and does a, you know, round off backhand spring full, whatever. <laughs> body double does it. And then I, they, plug me in there and I stick the landing and the kids go, holy cow. <laughs> and then I go, yeah, holy cow. It's cheaper than a movie. Get your season tickets now. And we did that year after year after year, you know? And so other sports had great commercials, but they only did it one time. 
And, you know, I just, I just think it's consistency and that message. So now you go anywhere and you're liable to see a holy cow. It's cheaper than a movie or holy cow. I'm beaming for the season or holy cow. I'm vaulting into the season, the message for the year, you know, and it's on these, these crazy holy cow t-shirts, but it's being willing to, to step out there have a consistent message, but you've got to have a good product. You've got to know you've got a great product. And I think that Friday Night Heights, man, that has set women's gymnastics on fire. And I think that on top of all the work that all of the gymnastics coaches do around the country to market and promote their programs, you put Friday Night Heights on top of that with everything that we have going for us in the SEC, and it's a win-win. So I wanted to get you um, about being a fan of other sports on campus. Because <laughs> I, I I was looking at all these videos of you pumping up the baseball team, going to basketball games, tailgating for football. What is it like to be part of like a community and making that part of what you do is interacting with all of these other teams and, and even tailgating? Well, you know, we all want people to come to our events. And I think if, if we want people to come to our events, then we need to go to events. And it's not unusual when, when Les was our football coach for Les to come to the gymnastics meet. I mean, he'd come and he'd sit there and just had the best time. And Paul Maneri comes all the time and he, he, he now makes us promise we're not going to put him on the kiss cam. Sorry, Paul, but I, I had to throw that out there. And I just, I love these guys. I adore these guys. And Will Wade, our basketball coach, and you know, the, we had an idea a few years ago for us to go sit in the stands at the men's basketball program because we Will was just starting up, getting things going again. So I'm like, oh, you know, sure, I'll be happy to do it. So, you know, I went. And then the next time I went, then it was like, well, if it was so good for her, then Mickey, the bas- women's basketball coach, and Fran, our volleyball coach, they joined me. And then the next time we look up and there sits Les Miles and somebody else and somebody else. So it it became an event and the players knew we were there and the students knew we were there. And then we have this, this thing that we do for gymnastics. We give out VFTs and they come and they get these passes and they can sit on the first three rows of our student section for gymnastics. So we take that opportunity for the sit around these crazy kids and they become crazy and they see how crazy we are pulling for our team that they want to come and come to gymnastics and be crazy and pull for the gymnastics team. So it's it's this snowball thing. And then, you know, to be able to to be able to go to a, a baseball game and throw out the first first pitch and stand on the sideline with maybe one of my grandsons. And I was supposed to throw out the pit and I hand him the ball and he throws it out. But then to go up in the stands and up in the boxes and, you know, to, for Paul to say, okay, go, go pep up the team, go, go, go do it. You know? And I'm like, Paul, I can't promise it's going to be really, really, it's going to be good, but I can't promise it's going to be what you would say. And uh, the kids love it. The kids love it. And it's, you know, it's always fun. And then the kids, of course, you know, go tell, you know, what I told them and uh, I can't repeat it on the radio. And it's always fun. It's always fun to, you know, to be a part of someone else's successes because, you know, our baseball program, we've had so much great success and um, it's it's just, it's a family and the the community. Camaraderie is amazing. But then to, to be able to go to a football game and the students, you know, chant and want me to go up in the stands with them. So I go up in the stands with them and we kind of do a where's Waldo thing where, you know, I go up in the stands and, you know, where's Dee Dee? And then the camera goes on and we do the light it up, you know, light it up thing. And everybody light it up. So, you know, I'll do it one week and then Fran will do it and then Nikki will do it. And then I think we've had Paul do it. So it's just, it's those things that bring us closer to our students to to be able to touch our students and like move in day, our, our former president, uh, Dr. King Alexander, who's now at Oregon state 
lucky them because he's he's just very youthful in his approach of, of being the president of, of a university. But um, he really believed in move-in day and he wanted the athletic people to be a part of that move-in. So we they assigned us to different dormitories and, and uh, we went with our kids and hauled in refrigerators and hauled in all kinds, you know, their luggage and helped their parents. And it was just a, a, a real community involvement thing. And I know a lot of universities do this, but maybe people don't know it. The other thing I, I, I found out that, that uh, Dr. Alexander did a pancake night, like before finals every time. So I called him and I said, Hey, can I come flip pancakes with you? He said, Oh, absolutely. You know, come on. And that was a good thing because a lot of the kids that come to our events are doing the pancake thing. And I was able to, you know, give out schedule cards and have my marketing people there. And it's just trying to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself and um, making it fun because, you know, if it's not fun, it's really, really kind of not worth, worth doing. And tailgating, that's just a natural part of, of, of being a Tiger fan and growing up in South Louisiana. And uh, I, I love tailgating. I love meeting our boosters, our fans, and just being a part of the, the celebration of, of the go tiger nation. What do you make at the tailgate? What do you cook? Oh, geez. I really don't have to cook anymore. You know, because we get invited to so many tailgates that are are cooking themselves. Now we do tailgate. Um, Bob Moore and and Jay Clark and I will tailgate and cook. But you know, I used to do all the cooking, and now Jay loves to cook. So we have a, a our, our facility is phenomenal. We have this beautiful deck that overlooks a, a promenade where most people walk when they're on their way to the football games. And um, so we have you know we'll we'll get cook for recruits and cook for our, our students. And it's a place for our kids to have tailgates before the game and have a place to go. And um, they'll you know sometimes bring a friend or a boyfriend if the boyfriend's not on the football team. But you know it's fun. And and the, I guess the thing that we like to cook the most is um, roast prime prime mm. ribeye. You know ribeyes and um, I like mine very rare. So and the kids don't like theirs rare. So we we kind of cut me a piece off early. But um and and Jay's a master at it. I mean nobody does it better than he does. And then you know we, the kids love green beans. We do green beans and salad and that kind of stuff. We have all kinds of side cookers. We have a little, little kitchenette area in our up up in our facility so that we can. And we actually hooray just just installed a dishwasher. So we we won't have dirty dishes stacking up. We can do the dishes right away. But, uh, you know, tailgate is just part of the deal. And it, and it, and our, our facility, our training center is centered around the, the epicenter of all the other facilities. Our, our beach volleyball is right next door to us. So they'll come over to our facility a lot. Our basketball arena and gymnastics competition arena is right across a little promenade, our swimming facility, our track and field. I mean, everything is, is very close to where we are. The, the furthest thing from us is softball and baseball. So there's a lot of, of crossing over and things that uh, if volleyball or basketball has an event, they'll ask me to come and just kind of knock around with the kids and talk to the recruits. And it's always, it's always fun. It's always gratifying. And I love to have other coaches because, you know, the other coaches can say things that you can't say about yourself, which is always nice. And so when we have the opportunity to recruit for each other, it, uh, it's, it's really kind of gratifying. So you're talking about food, which is, is one of my big hobbies, but I wanted to talk about your hobbies because you have a few, but I wanted to start with gardening because in quarantine, I decided now was the time for me to try to keep a plant alive. <laughs> and also some herbs and the herbs is like two of three are doing okay. The other one, the parsley is just not um, my other plant is one that definitely doesn't need water and like you can't you mess it up. You have them in the ground or you have them in pots? They're in pots. They're in pots. I, I'm in an apartment. That's your, but, that's your first problem. 
Okay. So, so walk me through, walk me through the gardening hobby and how you got into it in the first place and, and all the things that I'm definitely doing wrong. Well, my, my parents were, were gardeners. My father loved, loved to garden and my mother um, also gardened and they always had a vegetable garden. And my, my daddy was like, okay, if you, if it doesn't make a flower and you can't eat it, I'm not planting it. So, you know, eight kids in our family, we all recite that same thing every time we plant something. So I have a lovely herb garden Um, in it. I have roquette which is the, the, the Cajun version of arugula. So I have roquette in my garden. I have uh, an herb that, that mimics celery and um, always basil. I have sage. Uh, I have I had lettuce. Lettuce is kind of finished. What else do I have in there? I have uh, oregano. And then in my other garden, I have cherry tomatoes because they're much easier to grow. So if you're going to get a tomato, get cherry tomatoes because they do really well in a pot. But everything else I have is in a, I have my tomatoes in a pot. And then in my little front yard, my grandson wanted to start a garden. So we did a little garden for him in my front yard, which is kind of a, it's got a a metal fence from the street. So we've got climbing cucumbers in there and he wanted to plant beans. He's two. So he wanted to plant beans. So we planted some beans and okra. And so he cut okra yesterday and he picked some beans and he picked a uh, cucumber that I missed. And it was about 16 inches long, a little too long (laughs) to eat. But uh, he picked it yesterday, uh, picked it this morning. He's going to give it to a sitter. But um, I really enjoy herb gardening. But uh, more more than that are on the same plane as that. I I really love tropicals. I love bougainvilleas. I have bougainvilleas in my yard and um, just lots of color. I have lots of color. My my mother lived with me. She just passed away in December. She lived with me for two years and she always, always wanted color. Plant color and we'd go to her house and plant color in her yard. And so I have a lot of color around my patio and in my backyard. And um, it's just I, I relax in that. Actually, this reminds me, I've got to call Fran Flory, our, our volleyball coach, because she called me the other day and she says, look, I've got a swimming pool over my house and it doesn't look anything like yours. So what I want you to do is come over here and help me. Just tell me what I need to do to have a garden. First, you have to be willing to dig and then you have to be willing to weed. And, and I find digging and weeding therapeutic and I enjoy doing it. So with, with so many different almost projects. Is, is this something like every day you're going around taking care of, looking through the garden, picking stuff with your grandson? Like, is this a daily habit? Is this every something day. that, yeah, something that's therapeutic every almost every single day? Yeah. I've, I've actually set up a little bit of a watering sprinkling system so that there, if I, if I go out of town, sprinkler takes care of most of it. And then I've got a little girl in the neighborhood that comes and, and she'll water the things that are around, you know, close to the pool that I don't have sprinklers on, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's an everyday thing. And if it, it goes unwatched, then you got, you know, snails and aphids and different things that are encroaching. And, you know, so you have to take care of it daily. Mm-hmm. So what, I mean, outside of the advice about being willing to dig and, and weed through things, what are other things that people who want to get into gardening can do or expect, or, or even maybe herbs to start with that, like, unlike me that, you know, might not die right away? Yeah. You know, the, the, the critical thing about herbs is knowing when to water them and when to let them get dry. And, and overwatering herbs is, is worse than, than letting them dry out because if you overwater them, they're going to drown and die. If you let them dry out, they'll just kind of dry and wither and then you can revital, you know, revitalize them with a little bit of water. But um, you got you to gotta just enjoy it. You, know, you got to enjoy going to a nursery and walking around and, and kind of being a part of what's happening and understand what takes shade, what takes sun, what's an annual, what's a perennial. You know, and, and I am by no means a master gardener. But 
but I am someone who is passionate and, and loves to be outside and loves to be in the yard and really appreciates blooming and growing things. Do you plan out recipes based on things you're growing or do you grow things because you like them in your meals? Like how do, how do you plan specific herbs? I, I only plan herbs that I know I'm going to use. Um, I love, I love using oregano. I, I cook a lot. My daughter cooks a whole lot. My sisters cook a whole lot. So, you know, that was a, a focal point in our home, you know, with my mother, my mother was an incredible cook, you know, being able to have her recipes. And we've actually done a family cookbook that has the pictures and the recipes and everything that, you know, goes along with it. But, um, it's, it's really all about what you feel and what you want. Like I've got a mess of green beans in there that I'm going to have, you know, snap beans that I'm going to have to cook. So it's, you know, it's planning and knowing what you want to have. I've got, you know, squash in there that I've got to, I've got to cook and or prepare and put in the freezer. So, you know, it's just, it's always an ongoing project. How big is your garden? Honestly, my garden's not very, very big, but right now I am helping our church. It, our church has a, a little school that goes with it, St. Aloysius, and there's a little school that goes with it. And the first, second, third, and fourth graders planted a garden. And when school ended, and I'm like two blocks away, so it's in my jogging trail. And so whenever I jog by, I stop, I weed, I water. And if you don't pick the beans off the plants, it's not going to produce any more flowers. So it's it's been very gratifying because, you know, you see the little marker that says first grade and you know that they planted the beans and the second graders, whatever they planted. And so there's a lot of gratification because I would hate for one of those kids, those kids to come back to school or come back after mass one day and go look at their garden and it all be dead because somebody didn't take care of it. So, you know, I'm I'm kind of doing that in some of my spare time when I'm here at home and can't go to the office. But my garden, my yard is pretty big and I do have lots of, of plants and I have a key lime tree and a lemon tree and I planted two orange trees during this COVID-19 stay at home order. So I've been busy. And fortunately, the nursery here in town that I that I frequent has not closed for one minute. A key lime tree sounds awesome. I actually didn't even know yeah. how, and how that comes about. It produces a lot of key limes. It produces a lot of key limes. You know, it's those little bitty limes. They're little, little tiny yeah, limes, like yeah. an inch in the water. Yeah, they're delicious. Oh, that's so cool. So before we let you go, um, you mentioned other hobbies, which I'm sure also help keep you sane and not working 24-7. So it sounds like you like to be outside for all of these hobbies. What else do you spend time doing? Well, I grew up fishing with my family. And... Um, you know, we, like I said, I grew up in Donaldsonville, which is a, a small town where the Mississippi River and Bayou Lafourche intersect. And if you go down Bayou Lafourche, you get almost to the end of it. That's where Coach Ogeron grew up at the at the end of it. And I grew up right at the head of it. So, you know, we grew up going down to Grand Isle, which is a small barrier island for our vacations. And to see the decimation now of our coast and, and the, the coastal erosion and things that we're suffering right now and seem to not have any control over is, is really, it's unnerving. And so to hopefully... Hopefully in my lifetime or in the lifetime of my grandchildren, we'll, we'll see something done to, to change that. So I, I fish in a kayak. I have a boat, but I also fish in a kayak and I really enjoy the, the serenity and the, the alone of being in a kayak and making decisions and the, the flow of the water and the rising and then the lowering of the tides and making all the decisions about where you're going to fish based on those things and having complete control over, you know, where I'm going and what I'm doing, um, is, is really, really fun. And I fish in, in one kayak tournament a year called Ride the Bulls, which is a 
redfish tournament and uh, it's it's really fun and it's very competitive so i mean that that's something that that maybe in my in my life there's a there's a kayak tournament it's a kayak fishing tournament yeah google it ride the bull it's um yeah it's a great tournament it's like 700 or so kayakers from a, a lot from around um that come and you go from seven in the morning to like two in the afternoon and it's the the biggest redfish that's caught is the big winner and there's like they give away kayaks and money and it, it's fun it's it's a it's a great sporting event but uh, you know it, I, I liken it to to pulling a slot machine it's like where you put your line if that's where the fish is and it's your good luck um so i mean there's some strategy to it and and you know knowing where the drops are and where the where the currents go and uh, the current coming in the current going out the tides where are they you know where which way are the fish going to be coming in if the tides doing this so there's a little bit of strategy to it but more luck than anything Coach, thank you so much for taking some time. This was a blast to get to talk gymnastics and all things LSU and all things gardening. Just again, reminding me how far I have to come in that space. Hey, this was so much fun. I enjoyed being with both of y'all. And Nicole, you were great. Andrew, you're behind the scenes. But I just want to finish up by saying, go Tigers. That was our interview with DD Bro. Check out all of our episodes on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Nicole Auerbach, and I'll talk to you next time inside the Coach's Clubhouse.